Father, this morning we just come to you. We just want to thank you. We just want to praise you. We just want to worship you, Lord. This morning, the last day of the week, the sixth month, we just want to thank you for the gift of life. We thank you we are here, still able to minister, still able to serve you, worship you. Nothing, nothing have you allowed it to stop. It was you, Lord, not us. You had planned, prepared everything for us in advance, and we just want to thank you, praise you, worship you, Lord. This morning, as we go to the ministry of teaching, I pray you give us hearing ears, Lord. Mind that truly, truly comprehends, understands, receives, applies. Give us the grace, the power to put it into practice. Because truth without grace is fearful, Lord. It's terrifying. But when grace comes, all things are possible. So speak to us and empower us today. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So today is teaching. The last day of the week, right? Saturday the weekends for us. The Lord's Day is tomorrow, communion. But no children tomorrow. Okay? Until the lockdown is over, no children. So we go to Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6. Usually we only read the first part. We don't read the second part. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. We memorize it and we forget it. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Now God is speaking to the priests. The priest. Okay, we'll put the next words and we'll put it together. Then we'll understand it. Malachi 2 7. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. And the people should seek the law from his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. So there is priesthood in the old covenant. In the new covenant, we know we have the fivefold ministry. But the fundamental purpose of this ministry, I mean, why is the church so weak? Why are the people of God so lost. It's simply because the priesthood forgot its purpose. The primary purpose of priesthood is to teach the people the knowledge of God, the ways of God. That's the primary purpose. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is secondary. The primary purpose is to see that the people have the knowledge of God, the ways of God. The purpose, primary purpose is to teach. The new covenant we have the fourfold calling given over there. They're called gifts. He gave gifts. The gifts to the church from Jesus. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. The fivefold ministry. What is common about all these five? They all teach. They all teach. Through them, we have the knowledge of God. How does, who is God? We've been learning about who is God. How does God function? What is the nature of his kingdom, which is coming? For those who like it and those who don't like it, it's irrelevant. It is coming. 
And once it comes, it takes over completely. There will not be a square inch left which will not be the kingdom of God. So whether you are in it happily or in it reluctantly, it does not matter. It will take over. So the purpose of this fivefold ministry primarily is to get people in and the people who are in, teach them for the kingdom of God and the king. Okay, so please understand why is the church so weak? I'm not saying that we are not weak or we are strong. I'm just using a statement. Why is the church of God? It's because teaching has gone from the house of God. It is not given its rightful place, the preeminence place. We like everything else except when it comes to teaching, we struggle. Yes, children, 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 children. Abigail and Arundhati, right? Okay, don't talk. Okay. I know you were discussing the doctrine, but still, okay. <laughs> okay. So, the church is a school or a classroom. You have to see that the church is a school or a classroom. And the ones behind the pulpit and everyone sitting before the pulpit are teachers. You will see how everyone ultimately is a teacher. We all have been given one textbook, which is the Bible. Okay, this is the only classroom, only school where you only get one textbook, which is the Bible. Not two like Christian science, but only one. Not two like Seventh-day Adventists, only one. Not like the Mormons, two, but here only one, the Bible. Okay? And not like the Catholic Church where you have additional books, which is called the Apocrypha. Okay, so it matters. All these things matters. Okay, the textbook is the Word of God. And... Uh, Pastors are primarily called to teach. The three and a half years of Jesus' ministry, he primarily spent it in teaching. We get fascinated by the miracles, but the miracles was primarily an attestation to his teaching. That's why we have a school of thought, especially among the Baptists, who says that now the teaching is set, the canon is set, doctrine is set, there's no need for science. Because science in the ministry, both in Jesus and the apostolic age, was an attestation to doctrine. Now, the doctrine has been set. There is no need for miracles. But there is a fallacy in that argument because the kingdom of God is still moving. People are still getting saved. And the majority of the people are still not saved. And the doctrine is still being taught. So you need attestation. Okay? You still need attestation. And you know, one of the common names by which he was called was teacher. Rabbi, teacher. He was called a teacher. Okay, They didn't call him miracle worker. They called him teacher. That he, he was a teacher who did miracles, but his primary identity when he walked on earth was he was a teacher. In Mark chapter 1 and verse 38, 1 and verse 38, I'm wrinkling my nose at my own instruction. I said, cut down sugar. I'm looking. <laughs> we are such sugary people, right? Okay. But the idea was right. <laughs> the taste is sold. But we shall stick to the idea. Because doctrine saves. Let us go somewhere else to the nearby place, villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So unbelieving statement. He said, I have come to teach. And if you look at it, if you look at the context of it, the townspeople have already come in the morning. The sick, 
Third, demon possessed, all those who are struggling have come and he actually leaves them, actually leaves them to go teaching. Okay, so only when you look at these portions, you understand the primacy God has put for teaching in the body of Christ, the importance of teaching. In John chapter 14 and verse 26, Jesus said, I'm going, but I'm sending somebody just like me. The Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit, the helper, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name. What is his primary function? He teaches you all things. Okay, we talk about him as comforter, helper and all. But you know what? He cannot comfort you unless you receive his teaching. He cannot help you unless you receive his teaching. The Holy Spirit, everyone who is saved, the Holy Spirit is with us. But if he is with us and if he is not comforting us and we are not able to receive his comfort, it's only because of one reason, we are not receiving his teaching. So he says when the Holy Spirit comes, his identity also, primary identity also is as a Teacher, Luke chapter 4 and verse 18. From there we move, go to the practical application. That is what we call the anointing. Okay, When it comes to anointing, the first statement Jesus makes about the anointing on his life is, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach. The first function Jesus acknowledges about the anointing upon his life is not to heal the brokenhearted. It's not to give sight to the blind or to deliver those who are oppressed. The first thing he says, I have been anointed to teach. Okay? So Jesus is a teacher. The Holy Spirit is a teacher. The anointing teaches us. He says he uses the anointing to teach. In one chapter, John chapter 2 and verse 27, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you and you do not need anyone to teach you, but the same anointing teaches you. So the purpose of the primary purpose of the, okay, it breaks yokes and all, all that is true. But an anointing can break a yoke. But if you have to walk in your deliverance, you need to stick to the teaching. Otherwise, your deliverance goes away. You go back into bondage. So the primary purpose of the anointing is to teach us. Now, it does not mean you don't need anybody to teach. Then you don't have the fivefold ministry. But basically, even when I teach from here, I have to be under the anointing. And for you to receive the teaching, you need to rely on the anointing. Because it's the anointing that teaches. It is not the man who teaches. It's the spirit in the man and the spirit in the person who's hearing that teaches. So Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the anointing, it is all about teaching. In the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, he says, go to the ends of the earth, Great Commission, but the primary purpose is given. After people are saved, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. So there is this incredible ministry of teaching in the word of God. When the church starts in Jerusalem, the first thing that is mentioned in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles are teaching. The apostles are teaching. Okay. Now remember, it is easier to deal with students once they have been disciplined to learn. Disciplined to receive. If you go to Sunday school, you ask them which is the most difficult one. Are the toddlers? The most difficult are them. Okay, the most difficult. Okay. Now we'll come to that. We will see who are we really in the kingdom of God. Are we toddlers? Very difficult to teach. 
Okay. So when the church began, church began, it began with teaching. And if you look in the, in the context, they gathered seven days a week for teaching. The apostles were teaching seven days a week. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 20, Paul talks about his own personal testimony. In 19, you will know that in the, you don't have to go there, but chapter 19, he's in the lecture hall of Tyrannus teaching there every day for two years. In 20, he's in Ephesus for three years. I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed to you and taught you publicly from house to house. What is he doing there in Ephesus? He's teaching. Verse 26, 27. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to you, shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. He gave the entire Bible, the whole counsel of God. And verse 31. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day for tear, with tears. The challenge I give to pastors, including last night, is that if you're given only three years in a church, will you be able to teach the entire counsel of God? Three years. And you can walk from the church guilt-free saying that I have given them, whether receive it or not is in your hands, Lord. But my hands are innocent of everybody's life. I have given them the whole counsel of God. Because it is this enormous responsibility on the preacher to see that he teaches the people what God has said need to be taught. Whether they receive it or not, once he has taught, he is free. It's like in your classroom. Teacher can come and teach math and go. Whether you want to learn it or not, it's your problem. He will get his salary. The pastor shepherd will get his reward. He will only be judged if he did not teach. If he did not teach. So please understand the importance of teaching. Why the pulpit is an exalted place. Not because of the person, but because of the message. The message is so big. It is so big that the message never will pass away. It will go into eternity. When the book of Acts ends, when it ends, the last chapter 28, Paul is under, under house arrest. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house, received all who came to him. What is he doing for two years? Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence. No one forbid. He's not allowed to go out. But people are allowed to come in. And what does he do for two years? He's still teaching. Okay. And if you look into the word of God, if you look from Romans, and if I include Hebrews also as Paul's letter, you have five books, which is basically history or biography, okay, the four Gospels and the book of Acts. Then you have 22 letters, right? Of these 22 letters, 14 are written by this man. These are teachings. The entire Romans to Revelation are teachings. The importance God attaches to teaching. And we cannot, you negate that in your life, you are in for destruction. And if you do not and I do not become a good student of the word of God, we will perish. We will be destroyed. And God who said, God said, my people perish because of lack of knowledge. And he blames the priests because the people did not have the book. So the priest's duty was to teach. And he says, because you did not teach what happens, your children will perish. Children will perish. And that's basically what is happening. Our churches our homes should be all places where we inculcate the habit of something. Mean, we go, I keep asking pastors, and we all made those mistakes, but we keep asking them as, if your child is weak in math, boy, you get tuitions. 
your child is weak in second language, you get tuitions. When is the last time you had tuition for the Bible in your home? You know why? Because we do not understand the importance of it. Paul's commission to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 2. And all things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Generation to generation, the teaching has to pass on. And for that, you know, he says, you are not the only one. There were others too. I have trained a set of people. And it has to be passed on to people who are faithful men who are able to teach others also. We cannot just pass the book on. We have to pass the teaching on. So teachers have to be generated every, every generation. There has to be teachers in the, in the body of Christ. A church that is not a school. It's not a New Testament church. A church that does not teach is not a New Testament church because every New Testament church was a teaching church. Teaching was its main duty. And then teaching equips the people to walk on their own with God. Walk on their own with God. Ultimately, all of us have to walk one-on-one with God. What equips you to walk one-on-one with God? It is the teaching. So if you do not receive the teaching, you will not be able to really walk with God. Titus is another important disciple of Paul. I would put Titus is more important than Timothy. Because Timothy was a fearful disciple. Titus was a fearless disciple. Okay, Maybe one day we will look at it. Titus, we have only one small epistle to title or letter to Titus. Titus was left in the island of Crete simply because of false teachers. Entire chapter one is because of the, he said there are false teachers, so men and their own uh, prophets and all uh, Cretans are liars and you be there because you know what, there is so much false teaching taking place, I can put you over there to correct the teaching. Okay. And in chapter two of Titus, there are 15 verses. And if I'm right, 10 or 11 times the word teach or teaching is mentioned in one chapter. Look at chapter 2, okay? We'll just, we are not dealing the entire chapter, but just let's read that chapter. In chapter 2, verse 1, he tells Titus, you must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Whatever you teach must agree with sound doctrine. Okay? Teach older men. So older men have to be taught. It's a simple thing. As soon as your hair is gray, you think, I know everything, I don't have to be taught. But the Bible specifically says older men have to be taught. Older men have to. Six things they have to be taught over there. We are not looking at that today. To be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Old men have to be taught these basic things. Okay? Verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women have to be taught. Okay? We are not getting into that. Okay? And uh, verse 4. Younger women have to be taught. It's the most interesting statement in verse 4. If you look at it, younger women have to be taught how to love their husbands. Because everybody automatically thinks, I get married, I know how to love my husband and my children. God says, you do not know. You have to be taught 
how to function as a home. And who teaches this? The older women who have come through that battlefield called marriage and have learned through it still to revere their husbands and love their husbands and raised up children and learned to love ungrateful children. They are the only ones who are able to tell the younger ones how to teach them to love your husbands and love your children. The teaching ministry is there for everybody, younger people. Verse 5 will talk about it. No? Uh, verse 6. Yeah, verse 6. Similarly, encourage or teach the young men to be self-controlled. Everybody is in teaching ministry. Whether you like it or everybody is learning from somebody. Verse 9. Teach subjects to be slaves, to be subject to their masters in everything. Slaves have to be taught. Okay, if you go to verse 7. Okay, verse 7. In your teaching show integrity and seriousness. Teaching is a very serious business. And so many pastors I know, we use humor. But so many pastors are jokers. They are jokers. He says, show integrity in your teaching and be very serious because the subject matter is very, very serious. Okay, When I was in school and college, intermediate, one subject I disliked, I mean, was math. Because one thing about math, unlike every other subject, you cannot be distracted for a second. You will miss the subject. It is step by, you go one step, you go wrong. Science you can figure out. English is easy. History is gas. Okay. <laughs> math, the problem with math is that your mind cannot afford to wander. You cannot afford to matter. It's such a systematic science that it is so, and that's why, you know, people like who are tuned to English do not like math because English allows you to relax. Math does not allow you to relax. You have to be so concentrated. Why do you think Pastor Vijay is so good in memorizing verses? Because it's math. It's math. It's math. Math does something to your brain. English does something else to your brain. You put it together, it works well. (laughs) It works well. Okay. So you need to realize, children, you need to realize, everybody has to be taught. And the word of God is the most serious subject. It has to be taught with seriousness and with integrity. So slaves have to be taught. Words 10. If you come to the second part of it, is that, that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Meaning, when you receive this teaching and when it becomes part of your life, the teaching is reflective in your life and it makes attractive. It makes it attractive. Okay? It makes it attractive. And then if you come to verse 11 and 12, we come to grace. And the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and grace also teaches. It teaches. It teaches a whole lot of things. 11 and 12 talks about teaching. And then finally closing up in verse 15, what does he say? He says, these then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. So you need, because on Wednesday, Pastor Vijay was talking. I wish you went. If you haven't heard, please listen. He was talking about Simeon as hearing and has Anna as the praying. Okay, hearing. The primary purpose of teaching is that you will hear. Okay, you will hear. And you need to understand the importance because 99, if not 100% of our troubles in our life is because we haven't learned. 
my people perish because of lack of knowledge. Because we don't learn. And you cannot complain. There isn't teaching. Okay. But teaching is one thing. Learning is whether we'll receive or not. So how serious is the ministry of teaching in the church? It is so serious, the honor attached to teaching, you see in First Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. So there are elders in the church. Okay, there are, and they are worthy of double the honor. But among them who are especially set apart for greatest honor are those who labor. Those who labor in word and in doctrine. So one of the questions I ask pastors is, do you labor? I'm not talking about laboring in teaching. That's the easy part. The laboring in study in the word. Do you labor? He says, those who are, like you have, you have, uh, uh, churches with so many pastors and all of them don't teach. There will be very few who teach. Some will be administration. Some will be in handling some social work. Some will be handling worship. Big, big churches with huge congregation, huge budgets have so many in the pastoral team. But the ones who teach will be two or three. And Paul is talking about that. Okay, he's talking about an eldership. The seven who were elected, selected to take care of the other needs of the church are elders of the church, but they're not into teaching ministry. But those who are teaching, he says, are counted. So there is enormous honor attached to the office of the teacher in the church. Those who teach. There is enormous warning attached to the same ministry. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Many should not be teachers. Why? Those who teach will be judged even more strictly. Why? Why is it so? Because the Bible says, we all stumble in many things. And if anyone does not stumble in the word, he's a perfect man. He says, you know what? We can stumble in so many things. And we will stumble on the same. But you cannot stumble from behind the pulpit. You cannot err in the matter of the teaching of the word of God. You cannot err in the matter of doctrine. You go wrong in doctrine, it will cause a lasting effect on the lives of others. So God says, anyone who comes in the ministry of teaching, be very, very serious. There is great honor attached to it. There is great danger also attached to it. So, Titus 2.1. What should we teach? Paul, the Spirit of God answers through Paul. We should only teach what is proper for sound Doctrine. What is in accordance to sound doctrine? Okay, so what is the doctrine? Doctrine is the pillar that supports the church. It's like the bones in your body. You have no bones, you fall. Okay, you can have a flesh wound, you know it heals fast. You have, can have a broken bone, you know it takes a much, much longer. And if it is not set properly, if your bone is not set properly, you will always walk with a deformity. Yes, 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 yes. A lot of churches are deformed. You know what? Because their bones were broken. The doctrine went wrong. And then they tried to set it. But setting a broken bone, it, it is not an easy thing. Okay, an easy thing. Let me tell you the tr- truth. It is easier to teach a Hindu or a Muslim who gets saved than to get a Christian who has been taught wrong doctrine. It's very easy to teach them. Because they receive it just like that. 
But you get a Christian who first ate junk. Now you have to change his taste buds to eat what is healthy. He will fight all the way. Fight all the way. Okay, fight all the way. So please understand it is not an easy thing. And that's why from the time of the beginning, okay, from the time of Moses, if you want to put it across from the time of Moses, all the way till today, the enemy's strategy has to be to fill the church with false teachers. False apostles, false prophets, false evangelists, false, you can have false evangelists. If you try to save people with a false gospel, you are a false evangelist. False pastors, false teachers. And what is where they, how do they become false? They become false in what they teach. Okay? And it didn't start yesterday or today, it started from the time of Moses. You see, Moses is the only one through whom God is speaking to the congregation. And 350 or 250 of them rise up and says, what do you think? You are the only one who can teach. Basically, that's what they're saying. The Holy Spirit speaks through us also. They are trying to become an alternate voice. And you know what? The people are listening to those voices and not to Moses' voice. They were not listening to Moses' voice. They were listening to other voices. So these false teachers did not start yesterday or today. It started when the first teacher appeared. The first teacher in the Bible is Moses. That's when they started. So we need to be very, very, we have to teach what is what is in accordance to sound doctrine. The first five books were written by God through Moses. The first generation wandered in the desert and were destroyed, literally destroyed in the desert without possessing the promised land simply because they did not receive the doctrine of God. You want to put it across why they will say about rebellion, but why does rebellion happen? Rebellion happens because you do not receive a teaching. Okay, Pastor Vijay is teaching Abigail. Okay, she's graduated much more than what I'm giving an example. He teaches her 5 into 5 is 25. But she keeps on saying it is 24. 5 5 is 24. Pastor Vijay says, no, 5 5 is 25. No, for me it is 24. You know what? She can get everything right, but that will be always with a red mark. If you don't receive the teaching, you will be destroyed. Why were they destroyed in the desert? Because they refused to receive the teaching. Okay? And we need to be very serious about it. If we don't receive the teaching of God, it doesn't matter how much God loves us. We still will be destroyed. <laughs> and it's not a question of God doesn't love us or not. He loves us. But we will be destroyed. So the first generation was destroyed. The second generation became overcomers. You know why became overcomers? Because though one class, imagine it has two classes, a class of older men and a class of younger men. The older men rejected the teaching and the younger men received the teaching. So the younger men will become overcomers. So Deuteronomy 32, actually he's speaking to the younger generation, not to the older generation. They are dead and gone. Very few are left. He's speaking to them. And you know what he says? And he brings both heaven and earth. Give ear O heavens and I will speak. Hear O earth, the words of my mouth, let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, and raindrops on the tender herb and showers on the grass. Let me ask you this. Did the first generation receive his teaching like this? No. The younger generation did. And they said, we are ready to go and take over. And they were not destroyed. The Bible says God gave them rest all the days of Joshua. And every promise of God came to pass in their generation. You know why? Because they received the teaching. Joshua didn't teach them anything. 
All the teaching was from Moses. Joshua taught them nothing. He only fought and led them. But the teaching was from Moses. And they received the teaching of Moses. And because a generation received the teaching of Moses, you know where? They were established in the promised land. And the enemies could not overcome them. So please understand. Okay. So doctrine has to be taught. Doctrine has to be taught. So teach these things that is in accordance with sound doctrine. So doctrine has to be taught. So who can be taught? Isaiah 28 and verse 9. Whom will he teach knowledge? Whom will he make to understand the message? Who can he teach? Only those who just wean from the milk. If you have not been weaned from the milk, you cannot be taught. It is interesting to know that Samuel is the greatest prophet, one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. But God never spoke to him when he was with his mother. But when he was weaned from his mother's milk, literally says, and given over to to the, uh, the temple as the mother had vowed, though the entire priesthood was corrupted, he could be taught because he was weaned off milk. The physical symbol kept over there. The physical thing, but here the meaning is actually spiritual. Because children cannot be taught. The only thing you can teach a children is discipline. They will all come with their notebooks, they will all have their pens, they will all write the scripture, they understand nothing. But one thing they understand, when you go to a classroom, take a book, take a pen, write the notes. It's the only thing you can teach them is discipline, but that is the most difficult part. Okay, So children who have been weaned of milk. Children cannot be taught. What is the nature of the children? Ephesians 4 and verse 14. This is the nature of children. Whom will he teach knowledge? Uh, Sammy, can you just come over and adjust the vent? The air? I know you need the air, but it's going into my ears. Okay. What is the nature of the children? That we should no longer be children. We should no longer be children. Tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know, what's the nature of children? Especially boys. Give them a toy. Oh boy, you will never see them. They will be going, one day later you don't see the boy or the toy. The toy is in three different pieces. He's playing with another one. Have you noticed that? That is children in the church. Okay. Today they will listen to T.D. Jakes. Tomorrow to Joyce Meyer. Third day Joy Austin. And they go nowhere. They cannot stick to one teaching. One teacher. That's what the Bible says. Tossed about to and fro. Carried about every wind of doctrine. By the trickery of men. Trickery of men. You know. What is a simple, simple instruction uh, all mothers give their children? When you go out, one, do not talk to strangers. Second, do not take chocolates or lollipops from them. Okay, Have you noticed? They will never say if they give you a 2,000 rupees note, don't take it. Because they will never give it to children. They will never give it to children. How do they entice children? With chocolate, with lollipop, with ice cream, with candy cotton. That's what I talk. The trickery of men. They will come with stuff. With stuff. 
Wow, that's a great revelation. It's not a revelation, it's trickery. <laughs> but because you are a child and you don't know your word and you're not even established in doctrine, what you happen, you receive all this trick. What is the nature of children? They are tossed to and fro, carried about with by every wind of doctrine. I like it, wind of doctrine. Hindi me balaka to your doctrine me hawa hai. The doctrine full of wind. It is a burger that never satisfies. It's called a burger. <laughs> okay. 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 First Corinthians chapter three. Words one. I, brethren, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, as the carnal has babes in Christ. Who's the church? Full of gifts. Remember? Full of gifts. All children. Okay, imagine this is a set in the Corinthian church. Abigail is praying in tongues. Immediately, Arundhati is praying louder. Then this one starts screeching. All children. That is why chapter 14 is written, please let there be order. Who are you? What are you trying to do over here? And that's how boys play. Three boys. One's got a bike, one's got a car, one's got a truck. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Have you noticed that? One of my kids who is there in the US, she sends me these Sunday school pictures from our church. She's got a daughter. She says, you look at the boys and the girls. The girls are quietly playing in the Sunday school, okay, the kids room. While the boys are wrestling with each other. <laughs> my brethren, Paul is saying, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but to as carnal, as babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able. Then we should ask Paul, if they are not able, why did you write the letter? He said, for you. (laughs) 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 They can receive it. But God said it and it became scripture. Okay, For you are still carnal. For wherever there is envy, strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal behaving like mere men? So he's talking about the who who is the child? Who is the one who cannot be taught? You know, we need to look at these things and say, Am I that kind of a person? Because if you're a jealous person, you cannot be taught. You cannot be taught, you will not accept the doctrine of Christ. If there is strife among you, you cannot be taught. There are divisions among you, you cannot be taught. Because see, the problem is, and he will say, some say I belong to Sipha, some I belong to Peter, some I belong to Paul, Apollos. You know what happens? Then if you have divisions among you, you'll know what happened. No, I will only listen to Pastor James. When Pastor Vijay comes, I don't want to go. I don't want to listen. Or I will only listen to Pastor Vijay. I will not listen to Pastor James. But you do not know through whose mouth God speaks doctrine. He speaks through everything. The messenger is irrelevant. What matters is the message. And if the message is wrong, then it doesn't matter how great name the messenger has. Oh, people say the largest church in the world, Joel Austin, his messages are wrong. It does not matter. Does not matter. Doctrinally, he's not sound. So all that gadgets and that crowd and stadium is irrelevant for God. The question is that, what you're teaching is it proper doctrine? Does it accord to sound doctrine? So we have to be very, very careful of who we listen to and how we listen to. Can God really, really teach us? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. 
for though by this time you ought to be teachers remember older men has to be taught older women has to be taught older women has to teach younger women young everybody has to be taught and by this time you ought to be teachers you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of god and you have come to need milk and not solid food and honestly you know what and i used to find it very funny you know when these uh, american pastors used to come to india you no know, when i was in ages and all no? they used to be long back you know they used to come and if you listen to their message they used to think we are idiots i look at the message what are you preaching <laughs> it is a simple gospel message as if we do not know our scripture and the problem is we, i told you this colonial hangover is there we will invite them to the pulpit and yet there are people sitting over there who have digested the word of god they can stand up anywhere and give the word of god you will be you would be i knew people like his name also a spurgeon and all in the church they are fantastic in the word but you know what they never called to teach they were called to teach and there are so many churches they call the mega churches but if you listen to the messages year after year after year after year they are just fat milk and just milk alone and paul is saying you should be teachers by now you're still for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness for he is a babe he's a babe and i'm not the issue, the issue with that pastors when i talk about this pastor is not the message the issue is that they haven't heard from god heard from god they haven't heard from god because there's a god who speaks you may go into a new con like when i go on this mission trip say go to the message and i have prepared at midnight he will tell me what to speak to the congregation because i don't know them he knows them he knows them we have a living god in and with us he is the teacher and he knows his congregation he knows what they need he knows what they need so we need to be very very careful he says many of you should be teachers by now you should be able to teach others but you are still drinking milk you are not drinking solid food so the question is am i a child can i be taught because literally teaching or doctrine will separate the children from the men the boys the men from the boys the boys from the men teaching separates in john chapter 6 and verse 60 therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said this is a hard saying who can understand it the division came in jesus intimate group through doctrine and verse 66 says they left from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more you see god allows that even in his own group he allowed it he did not change the doctrine but that's what pastors do they change the doctrine to keep the people but you are not helping the people you are destroying the people you cannot change the doctrine it is not yours it does not belong to you jesus wouldn't change the doctrine so only 12 are left all the crowds have gone first now that 72 have gone now he's got only 12 left and he's still asking them a question do you also want to leave what is he saying you see the doctrine cannot be changed because god is saying if you change the doctrine you are eternally damning them you cannot you cannot change the doctrine the doctrine can because this is the doctrine of the kingdom of god this is the doctrine of christ it is on which everlasting things are built and you cannot give up the everlasting for temporary it will not last 
In Matthew chapter 7 and verse 28, in Jesus' own ministry. So it was when Jesus ended this saying, the people were astonished at his teaching. They said, wow, what a doctrine. In Mark chapter 11 and verse 18. They give you 18? Yeah. Yeah. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him for they were feared him because all the people were astonished at his teaching. Let me tell you this simple thing. Jesus was crucified for his doctrine, not for anything else. The only reason they crucified Jesus was because of his doctrine. And the question I asked pastors is, does your, does your doctrine crucify you? Does the doctrine do to crucify you? Or it does brings all the applause. Everybody says, wow, such a great doctrine. Everybody is happy. Nobody is upset. If you look at the next chapter, next verse, Matthew 16 and verse 12. Then they understood. He did not tell them to be beware of the living of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So there were other doctrines floating around. And when he started, and when he started speaking, his doctrine amazed the people. And not only the doctrine, the doctrine was attested by the miracles. So they could not answer the doctrine. Jesus' statement about his doctrine, John chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus answered and them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who said, when he comes, he says, you know what? You may like me, you may not like me. But I don't have the right to change my doctrine. Because my doctrine is not mine. It is the Father's doctrine. Now we turn around and say, my doctrine is not mine. It is Christ's doctrine. We cannot change it. It's the doctrine of Christ. We cannot change it. I'm sorry, you can take it or leave it. We cannot change it. In verse 17, he gets the key Words about understanding doctrine. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. A fundamental secret he puts, you know, you can sit with your Bible, memorize the entire Bible, go to every Bible study, you will not understand the doctrine of Christ until you surrender first. First thing God is not talking about is not understanding. The first thing he says, when you surrender to my will, Lord, here I am. I don't understand, but I surrender. You will understand doctrine. Why is Paul the one through whom God wrote 14 of the 22 letters? Because his first statement is a statement of surrender. What shall I do? You know how much he took time with the other 12? Three and a half years, they're still not asking, what shall I do? They're asking him, you should do this for us, right, left, center, all that. But this man, first statement is a statement of surrender. What shall I do? It will be told you. As long as we do not surrender, and it's a daily thing too, but there has to be a point in our life where we come around and we say, Lord, I surrender all. I really surrender all. We'll start understanding doctrine. We'll start understanding doctrine. It's not a difficult thing. The gospel is very simple. The doctrines of God are very simple. It is not like algebra. It is very simple. <laughs> Trigonometry algebra is to give me nightmares. Okay. Gospel is very simple. 
the doctrine of christ is very very simple if you don't understand it it's only because we have been surrendered when you surrender the bible becomes an open book it's not a difficult book even books like leviticus deuteronomy is very simple it is not complex i'm telling you this a very simple god is very simple He's a very simple person. He's a very humble and meek person. He says, learn of me. I am meek and lowly. If a person is meek and lowly, his words cannot be weighty. His words is also very simple. The simplicity that is in Christ is what Paul tells. Okay. The reason we do not understand is, I don't understand the will of God. Honey, have you surrendered? Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but the renewing of the mind. What are these two things? A surrender of the body, a surrender of the mind. You will know the will of God. It's good, pleasing and perfect. It's very simple. I am still searching for the... I am fasting for 40 days. Don't have to. Have you surrendered? Have you surrendered? It's a simple thing. Have you surrendered? It's very easy. So to learn is very easy. It's not a difficult thing. And God says, if anyone wills to do my will. And doctrine is important. Sound doctrine is very, very important. Romans 6.17. Romans 6.17. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart the form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Read the sentence again. Find an instruction. Construction is interesting. If I was an English teacher, I wouldn't write like this. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. No. That's, you were delivered to the doctrine. The doctrine was not delivered to you. It's a completely different statement. We think the doctrine is delivered to you. God says, no, when you are saved, you are delivered to the doctrine. Are you getting the picture? When you and I were saved, we were delivered by the Spirit of God to the doctrine. You are delivered into that hand. Now the doctrine will rule you. Not that you will rule the doctrine. The doctrine will rule you. You were delivered to that doctrine. The importance of doctrine. Second John chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. Who are transgressors and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. These are scary verses. If you don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, you don't have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Who is writing? The loving apostle. John. Romans 16 and verse 17. I think I didn't give it to you. Yeah. Hmm? Not 617? 1617. 1617. Okay. 1617. Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. I have given you the doctrine. Paul was the person God used to give the doctrine of Christ, the gospel of grace. He says, come and watch. He says, watch the people who will cause divisions which is contrary to the doctrine you received. Watch out for them. 
sign of the last days. First Timothy 4.1 But the Spirit expressly, it's express delivery, okay, says that in latter times some will depart from faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Depart from faith, meaning they were in faith. Not that they were not in faith, but they fall away. Why? Because tantalizing doctrines are brought through men. But they are demonic doctrines. Demonic doctrines also have signs and wonders. Lying signs and wonders. So signs and wonders can be common with right doctrine and wrong doctrine. But signs and wonders is not the, the key. The key is the doctrine. Now that doctrine has been set and you cannot add or subtract from it, you need to know your doctrine. And don't look at the sign and wonder. The Bible says he shall come with lying signs and wonders. Why does he need lying signs and wonders? To, for people to believe his teaching. So be very careful. They are deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. The next words, Second Timothy 4.3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Be very careful that we endure sound doctrine. Because the Bible says time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine. That does not mean they will leave church. It does not mean they are doctrineless. No. But according to their own desires. Why? Because they have itching ears. He for themselves teaches. Teachers who will scratch their ears. Itching ears. According to their own desires. Be careful. These are all signs. Hebrews 13 and verse 9. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines. For it is good that heart to be established by grace. He says your heart should be established by grace. Don't let anybody turn you to the left or to the right from the gospel of grace. The doctrine of grace is the doctrine of grace. And you cannot depart from that. Your heart should be established by grace. Hebrews 6, 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ or doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again. We know these six things. We are so well aware of these six things. <laughs> but I am telling you sometimes, you meet Christians and you meet pastors and you go to churches, they don't know what is elementary. You know you have elementary school, middle school, and high school. You don't go to middle school without crossing elementary school. And six things I mentioned here has elementary principles. Doctrine of Christ, elementary stage. Repentance from dead works. Catholic Church has not come out of it yet. They're still doing dead works. Dead works. It's dead works. Repentance from dead works. Or works that lead to death. Or dead works. Faith towards God. Doctrine of baptisms. And one big chunk of the Protestant group does not accept that. It is written baptisms. It is not written baptism. It is John's baptism. There is a baptism of Jesus. In Ephesus when he said, have you received the Holy Spirit? They said, we didn't even know. And they are called believers. So whose baptism is said? They said, we received the baptism of John. He said, no, you need to get baptized again. You need to get baptized in the name of Jesus. The John's baptism. There is Jesus' baptism. There is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. There is a baptism of, um, of fire. There is a baptism of martyrdom. There are so many baptisms. So you don't have to worry, oh, I have to die for Christ. No. Everybody is not called to that. All the apostles were called to that. He said, they said, we can also drink. He said, can you? Yes, you will. He said, and all of them died. 
except John. So we don't have to worry, I will be killed for my faith. No. That is a baptism. It's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Okay. So there are different baptisms, but these are elementary teachings. Eh? Laying of hands. Do not be hasty in laying of hands. Who to lay, who not to lay, whose hand to receive, whose hand not to receive on your head. There's an entire teaching on laying of hands because an impartation, laying of hands, there is an impartation of gifts. Okay, And that's what Paul is telling Timothy. By the laying of hands, you received a gift. Okay, So, it's, there's a doctrine for everything in life. If you look into the word of God, there is a doctrine. There's nothing in life that does not touch. Whereby God has just left you open without a doctrine. There is a doctrine. And that doctrine is connected with Christ. With the life of Christ. So, it's talking about that. We have to move to perfection by moving beyond elementary doctrines. And then, sound doctrine, only sound doctrine can produce a sound life. First Timothy 4 and verse 16. Ah, 16. 6 also we can read. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith, of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. And verse 16 says, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Sound doctrine, when followed, produces soundness in life. You cannot have a sound life without doctrine. So if you go to a classroom, right? If you go to a classroom, all the little children who go to classrooms. In a classroom, there are two things that takes place. Once upon a time, we were all in classroom. Two things we do with students. One, we teach them. Second, when they go wrong, we discipline them so that they learn the lesson well. Okay. Like when you are teaching poetry, you have to memorize poetry. And he called the fellow to stand up and say it. He is not able to say it. So what do you tell him? Go and write it 10 times, 20 times tomorrow. He knows it by heart now. He is able to memorize. So all kinds of punishments are there. All kinds of. So there is teaching and there is punishment. Child sees sees it as punishment. But the teacher sees it as discipline. The purpose of punishment is not coercive. It is to change your ways. It will teach you the right way. That is the purpose. Okay? That is the, that is the purpose. Okay? And you will see that is, that's what coaches do. Why does great players like Nadal and need a coach? You say, why does he need a coach? Because the coach is observing the mistakes he's making. He's making, even great, great cricketers have coaches. And great, really great cricketers, when they get out, they go back to the coach and say, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? Okay, so there is teaching and there is disciplining. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, very very familiar, but understand what God is doing. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the son loves, he chastens, he scourges every son whom he receives. So the question is, why are you beating me? Because I am teaching you lessons and you are not learning it. God is not simply smacking people. No, he doesn't. He said, I only smack my children. 
All problems are not the same. When believer has problems, the believer has problems. But believer's problem is discipline. Okay? Our discipline. So we need to understand what is God is saying. He says, I teach you. I teach you. Every son I receive, I teach them. And if you don't listen and walk according to the teaching, what will I do? I will discipline you. And purpose, Pastor Vita explained it very well, but let's go back to it again, verse 10 and 11. Why does he discipline us? What is the purpose of teaching? Twofold purpose is given here. For indeed, for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, that is God, H capital, for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. What, why is God teaching us? What is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of this? And why does God discipline us when we don't receive the teaching? So that we can partake of his holiness. Be holy as I am holy. How do we do? How do I become holy? He said, that's why teachers are kept in the church. This is how you become holy. And when you don't, now you have received the teaching and you don't obey the teaching, I will discipline you so that you partake in my holiness. And verse 11, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of what? These are two different facets of God's character. One is holiness. Holy is who he is. Righteous is how he does things. Okay, These are two different things. People confuse holiness with righteousness. They are not the same. They are not the same. God is holy. And God is righteous. Holiness is who he is. And righteous is how he does things. And sometimes we don't understand the righteousness of God. And God will teach us the hard way. This is how I do things. You know what? It doesn't matter, no? You can be absolutely sincere and sincerely wrong. Remember David bringing the ark to the city of Jerusalem? He was absolutely sincere and sincerely wrong and somebody died. And the ark did not enter the city for three months until he understood which way to do it. See, sincerity doesn't cut eyes with God. You have to be sincere and you have to be right. Both are needed. You have to be sincere and you have to be right. So you know what God does? God disciplines us. He teaches us and he disciplines us. The purpose of discipline, don't see it as punishment. It's not punishment. It is so that we can partake of his holiness and partake of his righteousness. So please understand, believers, children of God, Many, many problems in our life are not from the devil. It is from God. So if it is from God, you can bind it, you can crush it from the roots, nothing is going to happen. <laughs> you can cast it away, it is not going to go away. Until you have learned the lesson. Then it will go away. Then you will not even realize it has gone away. So, sometimes I think the devil now doesn't always accuse, he complains also. Lord, you did it and they are blaming me. <laughs> like, Psalm 119, verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went, but now, I keep your word. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your Keep your word. That is why the two things, even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I fear no evil for the word with me. Very comforting. And after that? Ah, the rod is dumb. Nice. 
rod is not for uh, comforting you now i am able to walk through the valley of shadow of death i see nothing i so dark but this doctrine is deep in so i am not afraid that rod of discipline no i can walk carefully because the doctrine has gotten now i learned that's what he say before i was afflicted i went astray but now i was afflicted with the rod i kept keep your word look at verse 671 it is good for me that i have been afflicted now who says that does anybody say that it was good for me that i was afflicted that i may we say god is good we don't say affliction is good <laughs> that i may learn your statutes share in his righteousness 75 i know o lord that your judgments are right that in his faithfulness oh we say faith sounds so romantically faithful god he says yeah i afflicted you faithfully don't worry <laughs> <laughs> See, sometimes we are very emotional and sentimental with God. We don't realize He is faithful, and He faithfully afflicts us, so that we partake of His holiness and His righteousness. That is why we have to learn who is He. We ask this question: Who are you, Lord? Who are you? We understand this nature. We will realize, no, no, like fathers, earthly fathers, give up disciplining children. Yeah, because you know it's over. You can't discipline the person anymore. But God never does. <laughs> hmm. See, uh, there's a verse in the book of Isaiah where God says, "From your birth or from your womb to your gray hairs, I have carried you." Oh, we feel so comfortable. That means gray hairs only thappar milte hai. See, you may be gray-haired, but you're still a child for God. still a child for god and even in that time he will get nicely from god okay because his work is not finished in us his work is not finished in us so it's it's see it actually it's 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 comforting okay and david understands that he goofs up in towards the end right about the census prop thing he got and the um, prophet comes and says three choices he says let me fall in the hands of god His choice is always i have been beaten so many times by him you know what one thing i know about him he will beat me then he will rap me and heal me others they will lie you out and put salt also in the food <laughs> he says you know what i will get beaten by god i am fine i know him i know his heart okay i know his heart and which is true okay we, we need to understand our god and not become like naomi okay he's good even when he afflicts us is good his nature never changes and he afflicts us in his faithfulness so we saw this last time sound doctrine has to produce sound life the twofold efficiency 14 and efficiency 210 just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love so what does he do okay you can be holy until you become holy which will never become until the next life so this discipline never changes finishes it continues continues and being blameless not perfect move towards perfection but blameless every day we may be holy and we may be blameless he still doesn't leave you until we walk before him in love you can be holy and blameless and unloving and still trouble never ceases in your life god says lord i am holy i am blameless god says you are very unloving 
very unloving. You see, you are partaking of his nature. And God is love. God is love. You need to understand what he is doing in our lives. Okay, And 210, this is what he does in us. 210. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there are works which he prepared for us. So there is a work in us and there is a work he does through us. And you know for that we need doctrine. We need sound doctrine. How to live our lives. Like a sound theology produces sound lives. Same thing Titus says in Titus 2. Let's look at words by words. 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches. It teaches to say no. To say no. To ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-control, upright, godly lives in this present age. That is what he teaches us to do inside. And then verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, if you have a sound doctrine and you have a sound life according to the doctrine, your hope is blessed. You are not afraid of his coming. Why are these Christians all panicking about this COVID? I don't, I don't, I don't mind others panicking. They should panic. But Christians, so distraught. What are you waiting for ultimately? Whether you are healthy in a home or whether you are lying in the ICU, what are you waiting? Both people should be waiting for the same thing. What is the glorious appearance of Jesus Christ? Every one of us should be appearing, waiting for that. I mean, he said, that's only one thing he said. No man knows the day or the hour. So we can put a date. It could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years from now. <laughs> because of the mercy of God. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. But the thing is that, if our doctrine, which is the doctrine of grace, teaches us these things, teaches us these things, then our hope is connected to that. And verse 14, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, zealous or eager to do what is good. See, it works. Ephesians 1, 4 said, holy and blameless, walking in love. And 14 said, zealous for good works. That is 2.10. So there is no contradiction in scripture. Look. So basically what I was saying, we are saying that if your doctrine doesn't produce your life, and there is an issue. An issue. A sound doctrine produces sound life. At least a life of repentance. Even it's not that you don't fall, but you fall and you're still fighting it. You don't lie there in the mud. You don't lie there. You don't wallow in the mud. You rise up because you realize you need to be blameless. It's not that you need to be perfect. You need to be blameless. It is not easy. God did not say it is easy. It is only easy if you understand the gospel and the gospel of grace. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. There are few who find it. Like I always say, there is this narrow way going to life. And the way is Jesus. On this side, there is a highway. On this side, there is a highway. Toll free. 
six-lane highway, no tolls. And not only that, all kinds of vehicles, even cycle is allowed. Expressway for cycles also allowed. On this side, it is very, very narrow. But that's the road that leads to life. That is the problem with the gospel of grace. At the end, we will come into why is the gospel of grace so difficult for people when actually it is not difficult? Why is it so difficult? Okay. Why are there so many false doctrines? What are all these doctrines aimed at? It is aimed at the doctrine of grace. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, meaning be very sure that your, your doctrine is sound. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase more ungodliness. Shun. When he's talking about profane and idle babblings, he's talking about false doctrines. Word 17, their message will spread like cancer. You know false doctrines spread like cancer? Another version used like gangrene. Gangrene. You know what happens when you have gangrene? The only thing is that amputation. You have to be cut off. And you will see in the seven letters to two, three churches, God talks about wrong doctrine having got in. You hold to the doctrine of Nicolaitans. You hold to the doctrine of Balaam. Doctrine has got in. And God says, repent or I will have to amputate you. And you know what? Unlike the sound doctrine, which moves in lives of people like fraction of a millimeter by millimeter, the other one spreads like cancer, metastasis. Metastasis. It's so difficult to get people to stay on sound doctrine. But false doctrine, you will see, boom, it goes. It goes. It spreads like cancer. No. Now we don't see it as cancer. <laughs> but it spreads like cancer. Therefore we have been given a sacred duty. Both the pastor especially and the congregation. In Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. We have to contend. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write you to exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. This faith is used here is doctrine. It's about the teaching. Fight for the doctrine which was once and for all delivered to the saints. Nobody has the right to change it. Nobody has the right to change it. It was once and for all delivered. Fight for the right doctrine. Because if you're doctrinally right, it is good for you. If you're doctrinally wrong, you will end up in hell. So doctrine really, really matters. Jude one three, yeah, we looked at that, yeah. Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey those who rule over you. Be submissive, for they watch over your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. When they talk about obey, primarily, what does the ones who rule over you do? They teach. One of the things why I like online teaching is, you know, you don't see the congregation. The autonomy is given to you. You want to listen, you want to listen. We preach and leave. But a congregation is very difficult. 
not our congregation our congregation is used to trained for years but you go to other some not all places some places it is difficult to hold their attention more than 20 minutes they don't want teaching and you know what let them do so with joy when you come to church gtc especially it's a teaching church we teach that's our primary function the primary function of every te- church it's a classroom it's a school but when we teach let it be joyful for us don't be distracted don't come as somebody you know forced you tied a noose around dragged you to this place and brought you know how difficult i mean we both were classroom teachers and we know you know ultimately if you look in the classroom you will you will always see the teacher will be looking at a couple of students and teaching they know they are interested and there will be fellows who will be sleeping at the back after some time we try then we leave them alone you do what you don't want to pass this course it's your problem but i'm concentrating ultimately on the students who are interested but that is just a course that's just a program but this is eternity eternity you are saved and ultimately all your rewards and crowns are determined by the doctrine you follow you practice the bible says you know what when you come to the word of god you know i mean we wouldn't put up with junk in a classroom secular classroom but you know honestly around the world how much junk pastors have to put up with the congregation when it comes to the teaching of the word of god you know they will start giving signals to the pastor and then someone says one day for fellow took up not in my a pastor says one day he took his watch out and started shaking it to see whether it is starting or not telling the pastor please stop i need to go home while teaching is going on people will walk in and walk out and do all kinds of things okay all things you know that's what i said to come to a classroom you have to be prepared you think about a school class i mean what we demand from our students our own children we don't demand from ourselves let me tell you what we demand from the classroom you have two periods in the morning and then you have an interval that is the time when you are allowed to go to the loo right you know and then after that it's a lunch break but in the church that's not the way i will go to the loo whenever i want i'm not talking about older people okay i'm talking about the younger people you see what we demand from our children we do not demand from ourselves you know why because we do not attach value this teaching this teaching will determine my eternity it will determine my eternity where i end and how i end there and god says you know what let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you come prepared for the teaching come prayed up for the teaching so that the teaching flows like yesterday we read about the prayer the congregation praying for the pastor a prayed of consecration it it just flows it just flows you know because everybody the atmosphere the holy spirit is able to flow you know why because everybody has come prepared to receive the teaching and it is on that it's on the doctrine everything is built everything is built on that if your doctrine is unsound and you don't receive the doctrine everything fails everything fails So God says that Second Timothy one thirteen. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Oh, sound words. 
which you have heard from me. In faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. The pattern of sound doctrine which you receive over and over and over. You know what? Why in these letters? Because he's, these are his farewell letters. So he's writing to the next generation. I'm leaving. My circuit trips are all over. I'm going soon. Now the next generation leaders are you. Stick to that doctrine. Stick to that doctrine. He'll tell the church in Ephesus, after I am gone, wolves will come. You will say, how do wolves come? With teaching or with doctrine? With false doctrine. Savage wolves. What do these savage wolves look like? They don't look like wolves. They have a clerical collar and all. They come in a suit with a tie and all. They are very, uh, what you call, public relations experts. They have charisma, everything. But the problem is their teaching. You can have all this and your teaching can be right. You can have all this and your teaching can be wrong. And that's what he's talking about. Hold fast, hold fast. Don't deviate from this doctrine. And then, First Timothy 1, 9 and 10. Knowing this, the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomite, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. You know what he's basically trying to say? that He's saying if you have a sound doctrine, you'll have a sound life. Your doctrine will show in your life. Your life is the reflection of sound doctrine. What we believe, what we believe affects our actions. Behavior is only an extension of your theology, what you believe. Okay? Simple. We are not denigrating any faith. I'm just talking fundamental principles of the faith. Okay. Why is that an average Hindu is not moved by the plight of people on the roads or anything? Why? Because of what he believes. His action is determined by what he believes. He believes in something called karma, which is he deserves what he's getting. And two, if I help him, I might be interfering with his karma. And if I interfere, I'm only interfering for my karma and not his. So you can't fault them. Your actions are determined by what you believe. Your theology affects your life. Affects your life. What you believe matters. Your life is determined by what you believe. So is in Islam. So in is Buddhism. Everybody's actions are determined by what you believe. And if, yes, if your doctrine is not sound, your life cannot be sound. You cannot move on being blameless. You cannot move on to perfection. You will not move into the righteousness of God or the holiness of God. You will not aim for this thing. You will not fight for these things because your life is determined by what you believe. Jude chapter 1 verse 4. What happened? Certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly men who turned what? See, there are people who will turn. They realize, okay, the gospel is the grace of God. These people very soundly believe in the grace of God. So we cannot do anything about it. So what do they do? They come and turn grace around. Flip the grace. Flip the 
flip the grace. What does it mean? It means it says because you are under grace now, it does not matter how you live and what you do. It does not matter. But what does the Bible say over there? It says this is false teaching of grace. The gospel is the gospel of grace. The gospel is the gospel of grace. But what they are saying is false grace. It is not true grace. True grace is this. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and teaches you to tell no. It teaches you to tell no. And then when you say no, God gives you the power to say. And if you fall, it tells you to go back. You see, when you turn the grace of God into licentious, what happens is that you don't even repent. Because you don't see the need for repentance. Because you are once you are saved, you are always saved. I don't need to repent. That is false grace. True grace leads you to remorse. It leads you to repentance. And you still keep fighting and you overcome. Seven times you may fall, but you will still rise up. But false grace says you can live it. You can live in it. It does not matter. So doctrine matters because doctrine matters is how you will believe. How you will you? I'm telling you, you know, there's a doctrine about, I get all these letters from different countries, you know, and they will say, there's a single mother with two boys. She went through a terrible divorce, abusive marriage, everything she went through. And then she says, I was shunned by all the churches because these are churches who says that you cannot divorce. Now, you need to know fundamental about divorce also. There is doctrine. <laughs> if you do not know the doctrine of... See, when God says he hates divorce, it's because he hates violence. He's not saying, I hate divorce. He says, I hate violence. He hates violence in marriage. And it is violence in marriage that leads to divorce. So he's not saying he hates divorce. He says primarily, if you look at the context, I hate Violence in marriage. And when churches say that even it is an abusive marriage, you need to stay there and suffer it through, they don't understand. They don't understand what God is talking about. God was involved in an abusive relationship with Israel. Very abusive relationship with Who was the one who was abused? God was abused by Israel. And you know finally what he said? I give you a bill of divorce and send you. Go, go. You want that other man? To live with, go with him. Go. Go. So we have to be very careful because you know what? If our doctrine is wrong, if our doctrine is wrong, you know what? We'll create havoc for people who are suffering. Some people who are suffering. And many, many are. There are women and suffering. And you know what? You have taken as a doctrinal standpoint and you will not budge from it. But your doctrine is wrong. Doctrine is wrong. So do we condone divorce? No. But there are exigencies where there is no other way. Better save the life than allow the life to be destroyed. So you will see in everything there is a doctrine. And you need to be aware. You have to fundamentally understand principles of God. Fundamental principle when you understand a doctrine of God is that one, understand the principle of justice and the principle of mercy. God is just. Righteousness is a result of justice. God is not unjust. God is just. So in you have a relationship problem, you always need to ask this question. If God is just, does he punish the innocent? He doesn't. 
But when sometimes when you say you have to stay there and suffer it all through when there is physical abuse, you are saying God is unjust. God is, God is not unjust. God is just. And then there is the principle of mercy. Principle of mercy. See, when we do not, that's why I said we need to know God. We need not to understand how his kingdom operates. Okay? And that's why Jesus is the most just man who ever walked on earth. He will go and wait for a woman who is married and divorced five times. The principle of justice and the principle of mercy. Okay? Why are these things important? It's because we are making life decisions, so sometimes we give counsel to others, which is not based on fundamental doctrines of who God is. That is why it is called the doctrine of Christ, because Christ and the doctrine cannot be separated. It is the life of Christ. That is why our doctrine is important, because we follow the doctrine of Christ. We replicate in us the life of Christ. And it is important. And God looks at these things. And sometimes we don't understand doctrine. And everything I'm t- telling you, there is doctrine. There is doctrine. We had the GTLC uh, uh, orientation for the parents. And the word which I spoke to them is that, what is education all about? Why is education in which we are spending money for our all children worthless invest- investment? Because it is not teaching our children what education is supposed to do. What is the first law? The first law on which everything hinges is love God with all your heart, with all your mind. Education, Christian education is teaching your children to love God with your mind. And if your education does not teach you to love God with all your mind, it doesn't matter what degree you have, what certificate you have, it is worthless in eternity. Because God has to be loved with your mind too. That is what education should do. And that is where the ancients were commended because by faith they knew everything was created by God. That creation itself exemplifies the glory and the greatness of God. And if your education does not teach you that, to love God with your mind, you're wasting your money. Wasting your money. So we need to understand behind everything there is a secular doctrine of education is they have taken God out completely. Completely. So we have to be careful of the institutions we pick to put our children in. Or when they go in finally, they should be so much in love with God, with their mind, their minds. How is that almost 9 out of 10 kids who come from Christian families, when they go to secular institutions, why do they lose their faith? Especially in the Western countries. They are no longer believers. Why? It is because the doctrine behind education. Not education, the doctrine that empowers education. That's why doctrine matters. There is doctrine about everything. These are not simple things. There are doctrine about everything. When God instituted something, there's a doctrine behind. There's a doctrine behind marriage. There's a doctrine behind um, uh, uh, divorce. There's a doctrine for children. There's a doctrine about education. There's a doctrine about everything. Because it reflects who God is. And we have to be very, very careful. We live accordingly. And that's what it says. True grace teaches you. It does teach you. And Romans 6.14 says, We are no law, sin should not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That is the power of grace. That is the doctrine of grace. You can overcome. You can be blameless. And one day you can be perfect. Grace teaches you that things and empowers you. Galatians 3.10 
as many as are the works of the law are under the curse. What is the false doctrine that comes from the other side? The other side is that that is happening around the world. What is happening is people are being pulled from the church to go back to the law. So you will see through Paul's letters, you will see the Judaizers or the brethren of the circumcision. You're always right. What are they trying to do? They're trying to take you slowly back to the Jewish law. The problem is, it is a false doctrine. It's a demonic doctrine because if by some way you come under the influence of it, you come under the curse. You are cursed. They start observing Jewish festivals and Horosh Hassanah. All that is okay. But why are you? They will say, but Paul, Paul was a Jew. Are you? I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. And Paul himself says, our forefathers could not bear the yoke. Why are you putting up on this innocent people? No. You need to realize doctrines are very dangerous. And people get very sentimental, very sentimental about Israel and Israel's faith. We love Israel. You know why? We love Israel not because Israelites are good. We love Israel because God loves Israel. God doesn't love Israel. I don't love Israel. But now in the new covenant I hear something. God loves the whole world. Therefore you love the whole world. You pray for Jerusalem. Why? Because Jesus is coming back there. That is the only reason. If Jesus said I'm coming back to New York, I love New York. I'll pray for the peace of New York. My attachments are to Jesus. My affections are connected with Jesus. Outside of him we should not have affections. Why are we called to pray for the peace of Jerusalem? Because he's coming back there. Instead it was written, pray for the peace of New York or Washington DC. We will pray for the peace of Washington DC. Why? Because he's coming back there. But he's not written, he's not coming back there. So be very, very careful because doctrines, and that's why these doctrines of demo, uh, demons will affect your emotions. It doesn't go deep in. You don't cross-check. Is this true or not? And when you are caught in your emotions, it's very difficult to talk to you. Very difficult to talk to. Best thing is to leave them alone. Until emotions come down. They have fallen 15 times, got all scratches and marks like the prodigal son when they come back. Like, now you are ready to be taught doctrine. Okay. Which is true. All kinds of doctrines come in. So sound doctrine is important because our faith is based on a very specific message. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 to 4. Very specific. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, meaning the entire gospel is on this. What does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean? It simply means Ephesians 2, 8. You know what? You are saved by grace. And through faith and not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Meaning you cannot be saved by anything else. It is free. You're saved by grace alone. From the beginning till the end, it is an act of God. You cannot add to it. You cannot subtract to it. It becomes very difficult. Our entire eternal destiny Depends upon that message. That is why you cannot fool around with that message. Ephesians 1.13 In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom 
also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You see, the gospel of your salvation, the word of truth, and him you believed are all one. Which connected entirely with the person, his life, his death, his resurrection. You cannot change the message. You simply cannot change the message. Because if you change the message, you will die. And what we believe, like I said, what we believe matters. Because it actually affects your behavior. Like take two people to the third floor, onto the terrace. One believes he can fly. The other believes he cannot fly. What happens to the one who believes he can fly? He will jump and we will call 911. The other fellow sleeps safely, comes down the stairs. Why did two people end up in two different places, though they were at the same roof? It's simply by what they believed. Simply by what you believed. Why do you do the things you do? Because of what you believe. So doctrine, doctrine really, really, really matters. First Timothy 1, 9 and 10, we are coming to the end. Yeah, I think we looked at that, right? Yeah, we looked at it. Let's, let's go to Galatians 1, 6 to 9. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. A different gospel. Paul is telling the church in Galatia, how did you turn to a different gospel so fast? Which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want you to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than that what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so now I say, if anyone preach any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. You know what he's saying? If you receive a gospel, which is not the gospel of God, you are cursed. You are cursed. There's only one gospel. From the beginning till the end, there is only one gospel. What is the gospel? It's the gospel of grace. It's the gospel of Christ. It's the doctrine of Christ. You are saved by grace and grace alone, by faith, and it is faith unto faith unto faith unto faith till the end. There is nothing else can, that can save you. And if you turn to Genesis chapter 4, the last two verses for today, verse 6 and 7, the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? So why is he angry? Why is he upset? You know why? Because Cain refused to receive the gospel of grace. He refused to receive. He was saved by faith and faith in the blood and the life of Jesus alone. He refused. Abel came through the blood. Why? The work of Christ. He was a good man. Abel was a good man. But he said, I'm not coming on my goodness. 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 That is the whole thing. You need to understand. Okay, What you believe matters. What you really believe matters. So even when you fall and you don't get up thinking that God understands, again you haven't understood the gospel of grace. The gospel of grace calls you to come back. And come back how? Only through the same doorway you came in the first time, through the blood of Jesus. And when you confess, the blood of Jesus cleanses you. There's no other way. There's no other way. So right from the beginning we see the conflict. with The doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of works. 
doctrine of works. And we don't change. It's because we don't believe. The doctrine matters. Sound doctrine. And in the days to come we will see what is the doctrine, what is the older men has to be taught. What is older women have to be taught. And God who, don't get offended if you go to Titus 2 and verse 3. Don't get offended when you read scripture or in Pastors are preaching from scripture. Because you know why? God knows us. He's the manufacturer. He knows the product called man. He knows the product called woman. And he knows how naturally they react in a normal course. Though there are aberrations. Older women likewise that they be reverent in behavior. Why? Because usually they are irreverent. And not slanderers. He knows they have the habit of gossiping. He didn't say that to man. It's not that men don't gossip, but the men gossip less. Yes. They should be teachers of good things. Who should they teach? They should teach the younger ones to love their husbands. Why? Because a simple thing, I will tell you a simple thing, you may believe me or not, because God knows. They should teach the younger one to love their husbands. It does not say, uh, you know why? Because men usually never talk about their wives to other men. But women talk about their husbands to other men. They never do. It's a no-no. It's a taboo word. They don't discuss their wives. They don't talk about their wives. What women do. So older women are being taught. Say, teach the younger ones to love their wives and not slander. This is doctrine of Christ. How to live in your homes. How to live with your children. How to live young, what young men need to be taught, what young women ought to be taught, how older men need to be. It's all there. It's all there. Why is God saying all this and we shouldn't get upset? Because you know what? God knows us. God knows how we were created. There's only men and women. There's no transgender there. No X there. God will not put it on what he has not created. He will not talk to them. Oh, I am transgender. Why don't you speak to me? First accept the gender in which I created you. Then I will talk to you. No, we are not upset with them. They are poor, miss. I mean, they are what you call lost people. You should have compassion for them. The problem is I am not upset with the transgenders. I am upset with the system. With the system. With pushing them to live that life. The system. The system is warped. The system is warped. Not the people. The people are lost. These people were there always there. They were always there. But the problem is, they were delivered. And they can be delivered. And live a normal, happy, contented life. So please remember, the perversion of the gospel began outside the garden. Cain and Abel, two different ways. One is the gospel of grace, by faith. And the other one, by works. Don't try to add anything to your life. It's by grace and grace alone. It's faith unto faith Unto faith, unto faith, nothing else. And if anyone brings you any other gospel, that grace does not teach you, it does not matter, it's a false gospel. Or you need to add the works of the Lord to be accepted by God. Both are ditches on the side of that narrow road. Be very, very careful. Okay, stick to the narrow road. And that is why doctrine is important. If doctrine is right, like Simeon, we will hear. It's not difficult. People make it into a great, huge thing to hear from God. I mean, uh, Abigail, Emmy, is it difficult to hear from Pastor Vijay, your father? Is it difficult? No. Both are very easy. 
I'm not saying they like everything they hear, but it's very easy to hear. We also won't like everything we hear from God, but it's very easy to hear. It is not difficult. It is not difficult to hear from God. That's one of the, that's why, uh, 1 Samuel 30 always fascinates me. We don't have to go there. It so fascinates me. You can't live a worse life as a child of God than that 16 months. That 16 months, I mean, you cringe in your shoes when you look at this man after God's own heart, going to Akish and saying, I am your servant. I will serve you. He who was the armor bearer of King Saul is now the armor bearer of Akish. Man, what are you doing? What were you anointed for? And he's very upset that Akish sends him away because the generals don't want him, meaning you don't trust me, I can fight for you. He's so upset. Yet when he encourages and cries, knowing the God of mercy, he repents, he crack, answer comes. Immediately God speaks. Immediately God speaks. Shall I pursue? Will I overtake? Very hesitant little child, like the prodigal son. Shall I pursue? Will I? God says, go. Surely you shall overtake. You shall without fail recover all. No, That's the gospel of grace. <laughs> So don't change the gospel of grace. Okay, That's why I said don't magnify your sin. Don't belittle your sin either. Magnify your Savior. Magnify your... Where sin abounds, grace abounds. And you should be able to say, you know what, through Christ, I will overcome. I will overcome. I will put my life in order. I will put my house in order because grace enables me. Grace enables me. Amen. Let's pray this morning. Father, we this morning we just come to you, Lord. We just want to thank you. Help us not to change the gospel. Help us not to change the message. For sound doctrine will produce sound life, Lord. As you told Timothy, you're telling all of us, watch your life and watch your doctrine. Thereby you can save yourself and save your hearers. And I pray, Lord, Irrelevant, whatever ages, all of us have to be taught till our last day. Taught till our last day. Help us to be students of the word and also to be teachers of your life. Even if we do not teach with words, we can teach with our lives. That we make the gospel of God attractive. By living that doctrine out. That's what your word says. Help us, Lord. Help us. We thank you. We praise you. Worship you, Lord. Come with the rest of the evening into thy hands. And I pray for it all around the world, Lord, who are not still well. I pray for Brother Harish. I speak healing into his body, O Lord, that you would touch him. And you would heal him, Lord. And everyone else, Lord, who has asked for prayer, either for healing, for protection, and above all, for the expose that is taking place, it has to be exposed. The wicked works of darkness will be exposed. And how this virus came, where it came, why it was sent, will be brought out, Lord. They are war criminals. They release something on an unsuspecting world and millions have died, O oh Lord. And I pray everyone who is involved in this will be brought to light of all. It will be exposed. The wicked works of the enemy through people will be exposed. We will continue to pray all the Fauci's of this world. It is coming out. 
everyone who is complicit in it, Lord. Doesn't matter who it is, where he is, or how big he or she is. I pray, Lord, you will expose. Bring out these works of darkness into the light, O oh Lord, O oh Father. Because we believe there is still time for you and the gospel to go to the ends of the earth. And we need a season of peace for the gospel to be preached. Right now, around the world, it's a season of hostility to the gospel. What we have been praying, asked to pray for leaders. And when leaders don't change, we know God will change the leaders so that the nations will have a season of peace for your people can witness the gospel of grace. That no man should die without hearing the gospel, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father, thank you. I bless your people and we bless our little children here. Let everyone be taught of the Lord and grow in grace and grow in wisdom, Lord, in stature and in wisdom, finding favor with God and with man. Thank you, thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen.